Well, how's everybody doing today? Ooh, I can see the tryptophan coma has set in. <laughs> how's everybody doing today? Great, good. How many of you, just, by, uh, just, just to take a poll, how many of you had at least two Thanksgiving dinners this weekend? At least two. Anybody have three? Okay, a few of us that have three in the room, good. Anybody have more than three? Oh, man, Daniel, I feel bad for you, brother. <laughs> uh, it's, we, we have three. We always have to do, uh, uh, you know, my dad's side of the family, my mom's side of the family, and my, my in-laws, my wife's family. So three dinners in three days. And it's always interesting. There's an interesting dynamic that goes on uh, whenever we families get together, right? And, and I know especially it's true whenever we get together with my family. And the interesting dynamic, the thing that I can never really understand is this. My wife, Benita, who is... Uh, maybe the sweetest, most charming, most delightful person that I've ever met, when we go to Thanksgiving dinner at my family, nobody will sit next to her. And and here's the reason. It it stems from an event that happened, I'm going to take you back maybe 15 years ago or more. 15, 17 years ago, what happened is we were sitting around the kitchen table in my mom's kitchen, and and you need to understand this, you need to get the whole picture. Uh, My mom's kitchen is pretty small. And so we, there were about eight of us jammed around a table meant for four people. And, and my wife was in the very back corner of the kitchen. And I was on one side and my sister was on the other side. And, and it was impossible for her to get up. And so my sister, who was on her other side, got up to go get a, a refill, go get some, uh, some other food. And my wife reached over and, and grabbed a biscuit off my sister's plate and took a bite out of it and started eating it. Now... Every family has different customs, different laws, different rules, right? I mean, you have you probably you have some unwritten rules that if I came to your family, something would happen and I'd have to say, hey, can you explain that to me? Why did that just happen? Well, in our family, we have the law of the plate, okay? You know, when, when we were growing up, when we were kids, uh, my sisters and I, we could go in each other's rooms. You know, we could play with each other's toys. That wasn't a big deal. But if we took something off somebody's plate, I mean, that was war right there. And so when my wife reached over and grabbed something off my sister's plate, she instigated a, a war that so far has lasted at least 15 years. And I don't know how long this is going to go on. And it's become kind of the running joke in my family that, that nobody sit next to Benita. She's the food stealer. Now, in my wife's defense... I have to say that she was crammed into the back of the kitchen. There was no way she was getting up to get seconds, okay? And, and my sister was already up. And so if she wanted another biscuit, she could have just grabbed one off the tray, right? But my wife and I, we have a, we have a loving marriage. We have a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage. She's still working on that. Uh, but we have a... I'm just kidding. We have a great marriage. But I could not defend her in that moment because she violated the law of the plate, uh, so I hope you understand where I'm coming from, my point of view here too. But it's, it's kind of funny now because it's become a running joke within my family. And, it, and it's great when we hang on to things like that and we have things that we can laugh about. But it's not funny. In fact, it's sad, I think, when we hold on so long to things that have happened that have hurt us. And, and what about your family? I mean, if it's like most families, there's probably some tension when you gather for the holidays, Right? I mean, we're in this series we're calling Elephant in the Room, and we've called it that because when families get together, there are sometimes things that are very big and very obvious that nobody wants to talk about. And last week, if you were here, Josh Tandy talked about envy and how that affects our family relationships when we get together. And this week, we're going to talk about envy's evil cousin, bitterness. You know, uh, and, and last week, bitterness can consume us. It can become a reason why we don't want to gather with family or why we don't want to see friends. 
It can cause family strife. It can even, even escalate sometimes to, to physical pain or physical discomfort. You know, and, and, and the problem that we have a lot of times is when we hear about bitterness, we can look at people around us and we can easily see other people who suffer from bitterness, can't we? But, but if you're like me, I have a hard time seeing the bitterness in my own life. And this morning, as we go through this, I don't want this to be a theoretical message for you. And as I've been preparing it, God has been showing some things to me where bitterness exists in my heart. And so this morning, what I want you to do is think about this. All of us have someone that we don't want to see when we go to a family gathering. Or all of us have have someone that maybe used to be a friend that if we go out in public, if we go to a store, if we run into that person, it's going to be uncomfortable because there's an elephant in the room. And if we go to a restaurant, if we run into that person, it's going to be awkward and I'm not going to know what to say. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to take a minute and pray that God would show us where bitterness might exist in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, I I just have that prayer this morning that as we go through this message, that this not theoretical, uh, that we would stop from thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this. I wish uh, my, my... relative, my spouse, my brother, my sister could hear this. And I want us to think about how this affects us in our heart, God. Would you just show us in our lives where bitterness exists? Would you show us, would you bring a face to our mind, a name to our mind of somebody who might, who this might be for us, God, that we might need to to take this message to heart with? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about bitterness and uh, probably the best and most well-known verses in Ephesians 4.31. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have it up on the side screens. But it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. And so, you know, we could just stop and pray right there, right? I mean, that's what we know about bitterness is that we are supposed to get rid of it. It's not supposed to exist in our lives. It shouldn't be in our hearts. It shouldn't be in our families. And so we could just, let's just stop and pray and then you can all go home. Get rid of all bitterness, rage. But it's not that easy, is it? Uh, I mean... Uh, if we knew how to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with other forms of malice, we would do it. Uh, But we can't. So why is it so hard? Well, I think one reason is this, and it's in your notes. Bitterness has a bitter seed. See, bitterness usually doesn't just happen out of nothing. You know, last week Josh talked about envy, and he said that envy is a result of us thinking that God owes us something. That envy is God owes me And so I'm envious of people. Well, uh, I think bitterness happens when I think you owe me. You know, envy is God owes me. Bitterness is you owe me. Uh, Bitterness happens when there's been an offense in the relationship. So maybe a spouse left you and and you're forced to pick up the pieces. Maybe it was a parent who abandoned you or a sister who constantly criticizes you uh, or, or a brother who talks about you behind your back or a friend who gossips about you. Maybe it was a former church or a pastor who did you wrong. And now you project that that same hatred or that same lack of trust on every other pastor, every other church. You know, maybe it's a job transfer or a demotion. Somebody said something, did something, and, and bitterness has been the result. And so as we go through this morning, what I don't want, if you're harboring bitterness in your heart, what I don't want is for you to think that I'm trying to minimize the offense to happen to you that happened to you. What I don't want is for you to think I'm just trying to say, that's okay, just get over it. Because that's not what I'm saying. If they did something to you, if they said something to you, and you were hurt, that's legitimate. That's a legitimate feeling. The offense was real, and the bitter seed was planted. 
And let me say this, it's not a sin to react to hurt if you do it in a biblical way. You know, it's not a sin to question God about why something may have happened. I wish I had time to share scripture with you this morning about just person after person from the Bible who, when they were hurt, they would cry out to God and ask why things happen. It's not a sin to do that. But it is sinful to let that wound fester. It it is sinful to carry that bitter seed around and let it sprout. It's not just bad for you, it's a sin. And Ephesians 4.31 says we should get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. So, so let's talk about um, why we should get rid of it, and then we'll talk about how. Why do we get rid of all bitterness? Well, it's this. It's in your notes too. Bitterness has a dangerous root. You know, Hebrews twelve fifteen says, "Watch that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many." Now, a bitter root will usually grow from a bitter seed from a hurt that's not dealt with in a biblical way. You know, so here's lesson number one for the day. If somebody hurts you, deal with that hurt in a biblical way. And that means that you take the offense directly to the person, not to your sister, not to their spouse, not to your neighbors, uh, not to Facebook, even if you think you can obscure it enough so that they don't know that you're really talking about them because I've seen friend after friend on Facebook that says something that I know, something just happened to them, and I'm thinking there's no way you're hiding that from them. They know you're talking about them, right? You take it directly to the person and you deal with it in a grace-filled and biblical way. That's the only way to keep a bitter seed from sprouting into a bitter root. And here's the hard part about a bitter root. If you think about the the dangerous root of bitterness, you know, if you think about the roots of a plant, where do roots grow? They grow underground, right? Which means that you could have a bitter root growing in you and nobody else would know it. You know, you look fine. You look normal on the outside. But on the inside, you've got this, this little white hot fury that's just building up and it's growing and sprouting into this bitter root. Uh, and, and think about it. What do the roots of a plant do? If we're making this comparison, you know, roots of a plant basically do three things. They absorb, they store, and they grow. And, and this dangerous root of bitterness is the same way. You know, it absorbs what, what's around it. If you're bitter about someone and you have that root growing inside you, you may already notice that it absorbs any negative thing that that person does or says. Like, like all the positive stuff that they do, it just bounces right off that root. But all the negative stuff just gets absorbed into that. And, and then it stores. It stores things, right? So it, it stores all the things that all the offenses that that person commits against you, all the things that they say that might even be a little bit related to it. Like, I'm saving those up. I might need those later. You never know. And then it grows. If it, if it absorbs enough stuff and stores enough stuff, it'll start to grow. And it gets bigger and more dangerous, And you start to imagine that confrontation in your mind on the day when it's going to happen. You think about that confrontation. Well, well, he'll say this, and then I'll respond with that, and then he'll deny it, and then I'll pull out the time when, and then he'll say, and then bam, I'm going I'm to take him down. And, and you start to think, well, okay, maybe I want to deal with this in a biblical way. And I'm not sure what the biblical way is, but I know that the Bible says that we're supposed to lay hands on people. And so I'm going to lay a hand on him. Or I'm going to lay a hand on her. And it's not just going to be a hand. Like we're going into the octagon. And we're not leaving until somebody taps out. It starts to escalate in your mind. But here's the problem. No matter how this conversation plays out, even if they say exactly what you've scripted them to say when that happens, it won't change what happened to you. It won't change what happened between you. 
It won't change the hurt that you felt on that day. And so many of us are bitter because we want to change the past. We, we want the past to be fixed. We want, we want to be made whole. We want the offense not to have happened. But we can't do that. So instead, we need to focus on changing our future. You know, so much of our bitterness is about making our past better. We need to make, about, make it about making our future better. You know, we just stop this root from growing because that verse in Hebrews 12 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now you see that and you go, well, how can a root that's growing inside me corrupt many? Well, it's because of this, and this is in your notes too. Bitterness has poisonous fruit. You know, eventually when a root grows enough, a plant starts to pop out of the ground, right? And, and a plant pops up and it becomes visible. And if it grows long enough and strong enough, it'll start to produce fruit. And, and bitterness bears poisonous fruit. In fact, it bears several poisonous fruits, and they're these. And these are just going to hit these real quick. They're in your notes too. We, one is we easily see the bad in others. You know, if someone has hurt us, our senses become much more acute. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like we become so much better at, at hearing things and seeing things. And so as soon as somebody leaves the room, we're like, did you hear what he said? Did you see what she just did? And, and when somebody has offended us, we start to notice those things more. Our senses are so heightened that we notice everything that they do. We see every bad thing, things that other people around us wouldn't even notice. You know, that leads to the second poisonous fruit, and it's this. We feel justified in criticizing others. You know, some of us are very positive people except when it comes to that person. You know, if it's that some of us would never think about gossiping about anyone except for the, oh, that low down, no good so-and-so that did me wrong, right? You know, that person deserves what I say about them. Well, the third poisonous fruit is this. We celebrate the misfortune of others. This is a really dark fruit of bitterness, I got to tell you, and I see this all the time. Ha! I knew that was coming for him. I can't believe everybody didn't see it coming. You know, you know, did you know that their marriage was in trouble? Everybody should have seen that coming. Well, of course, she should have known that her kids would turn out like that. I mean, after the way she acted, you know, that, do you see the way they're struggling financially? It's because God is paying them back for what they did to me. And we celebrate that. And that's a poisonous fruit. And the fourth one is this. We bring other people down with us. And we see this so often, especially in families. You know, we don't just want to hurt ourselves. We, we want others to hurt with us. And so we bring other people down. You know, with families, we start to form alliances. You know, you and your brother are on one side and your sister and your mom are on the other side. And, and the tension is thick every time you get together. Or, or if you can't celebrate misfortune, number three, because they don't have any misfortune, we, we try to create it for them. We want to make sure other people around us know what they did or what they said in hopes that other people will team up and make that person's life miserable. But look at this. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans 12. He says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And I have to tell you, that I would personally like some exceptions to this passage. You know, for, for people that murder someone, I want an exception. I, I want to be able to repay evil for evil. You know, if you rape somebody, I want to repay evil for that evil. If you hurt a child, you better believe I want to repay evil for evil. 
But this scripture, which is the divine inspired word of God, inerrant in my belief, says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And and so I did a little bit of research because I know that a lot of the New Testament is written in Greek. I know that Paul tended to write in Greek. And so I looked at this word that he used for anyone. And I have to tell you that the translation, the best translation I can find for the word is anyone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's what the scripture means. And it's hard for us because we want to defend ourselves. But do you know that when a child of God is hurt, who hurts more? God does. God hurts more for you when you're hurt than you do. And here's how I know. When uh, my daughter Grace, my older daughter Grace was 18 months old, we took her to Holiday World down in in southern Indiana. And I got to tell you, if you're a parent, if you've been to Holiday World, it's a great park, but 18 months is not the ideal age to go to Holiday World. Um, She was 18 months old, which means that my wife was uh, five months pregnant with our other daughter. And so there's not a whole lot of things that Grace could ride at 18 months. Uh, My wife, being five months pregnant, there's not a whole lot of things that she could ride. So we ended up spending a whole lot of time in the splash park. It was like a $100 trip to a splash park, okay? And so Grace, there's this one area of the splash park. You've probably seen these where they have the rubber floor and all the little fountains that shoot out of the ground. You know, have you seen these? So Grace found this one particular fountain that she, and she was so cute. You know, 18 months, she's a little toddler and she's toddling around and she's walking around. She's got her little swimmy diaper on and, and she sees this little fountain. And so she was sticking her face like this and watching it shoot out of the ground like that, you know? And um, so it was really cute. And, and so she's standing by this fountain and all of a sudden this, this big kid comes along. I mean, this giant kid, he must've been like, I don't know, three years old or four, maybe four. And and I don't remember the exact details of the story, but here's how it played out in my mind. He comes over and shoves her as hard as he can off her fountain. So, like, I start to, you know, just react, and I come over, and I'm, again, I'm not exactly sure of the details of this, but I step in between them, and I say, Step off, punk! <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know that my wife said, Whoa, ho, ho, easy, Conan, you know, and... Here's the thing. There's not a three-year-old in the world that could take me, all right? I mean, I am big and bad. But I felt that hurt. I did not want my daughter to feel that. I didn't want my child to feel that. And I think that God has the same feelings for us when we're hurt. And that's why he says, it is mine to avenge. I am the Lord. I will repay. Let me handle it. And so many times we want to go in and fight all these battles for God. And God wants to take care of them for us. And here's the thing, here's another thing that's important. It says, the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, the truth is you can't control every circumstance. I can't control every circumstance. But as far as it depends on you, you should live at peace with everyone. What it doesn't say is that you have to live in partnership with everyone. You know, living at peace with someone and being in partnership with them are two different things. You know, no matter how bad your ex hurt you, You're called to live at peace with him or with her. But you're not called to live in partnership with them. The scripture doesn't say you need to move back in. You know, in other words, your bitterness started with a seed, an offense, you know, some words or actions or something that hurt you. And in that moment, the relationship was changed forever. And so much of our time, again, and effort and energy becomes focused on trying to get our lives back and get us back to how things were before the offense happened. Our bitterness is focused on changing the past, but we need to make it focused on changing the future. But here's the great part about bitterness. 
You know, it, just like Josh said last week that, that there was a cure for envy, and that cure was thankfulness. Bitterness has a cure too. And we see it back in that verse, or back in that scripture in Ephesians 4. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so here's the key. Forgiveness is the cure to bitterness. Now what you need to know about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is not a Bible term. It's not a religious term. Forgiveness is actually a financial term. You know, it it means that there's a debt that was owed that has been canceled. And as we've already talked about, the seed of bitterness is you owe me. There's a debt involved right there, right? And so the technical term for the cancellation of a debt is forgiveness. So the best way to kill a seed of bitterness is to cancel the debt. You know, some of you are cringing right now, and I know why, because you've heard sermons on forgiveness and they just haven't worked for you. You know, I, I, in fact, I really hate the way we talk about forgiveness in the church a lot of times. I, I hate that most sermons on forgiveness are based around the idea that Jesus forgave, so you should too. Well, guess what? I ain't Jesus. It's just not that easy for me. And it's really easy for me to just kind of think, well, I'm sure that Jesus never thought of my situation. You know, I, I'm sure Jesus didn't realize what would happen in my life. And I know that some of you in this room, you, you've been hurt far worse than I ever have. And I'm sure that many of you have stories that if, if we sat down over lunch and I heard what happened to you, that I'd be tempted to give you a pass on forgiving somebody. You know, if, if I only knew the way your old boss treated you, I think you could be exempt from forgiving him. That, that if I heard about how your ex cheated on you and left you with the kids and the house and, and not enough money to make ends meet, that you wouldn't have to forgive her. Or if I only knew the things your mom used to say to you every time you get together or, or the way your dad beat you, or degraded you verbally, that that you would be let off the hook. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it just doesn't work that way. You know, forgiveness is an integral part of the Christian faith. I love what one pastor says. He says that forgiveness isn't just an app on your Christian smartphone. It's the operating system. It's like, it's not just a tool that you can pull out at some time and use it when it's convenient. It makes the whole thing work. You know, forgiveness makes the whole thing work. You know, Jesus dying means nothing if he didn't do it to forgive us, right? I mean, the virgin birth that we celebrate in a few, mu- in a few weeks here is really cool. It's a cool story. And, and the resurrection after the death, that's really cool. That's a neat trick. But, but if Jesus, when he went to the cross, if he didn't take all of our sin with him, it's just another death. But the fact that he did, that he took every sin that you and I will ever commit, and he took it to the cross with him, and he died with it, That's the central theme of Christianity. And so without the forgiveness, it just doesn't work. The entire Christian life is based on the idea that we can be forgiven no matter what we've done. Now, for most of the morning, we've talked about things that have happened to you, where there's been an offense in the relationship. What we've not talked about are things that are still happening to you. And so just so there's no misunderstanding, I want you to hear this. If you're in a relationship where you're being abused your first call shouldn't be to him to forgive him. You need to call two men in a truck and get out. You need to call the police. You can forgive him when he's in jail, but right now you need to get yourself in a safe place. You know, don't forget, living in peace and living in partnership are not the same thing. You know, this entire Christian life is based on the idea that we can be forgiven no matter what we've done. And because we're forgiven, we're compelled to forgive. 
And don't be fooled into thinking that forgiveness is weakness. You know, sometimes when we think about forgiving people, we we hold out, don't we? We hold out because we feel like if I just forgive him, he's going to have more power over me. We just hold out and, and, and we become like a doormat that they can step on time and time again. But we feel like forgiving someone somehow makes us weak. But forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is a portal to power. It's a portal to power. Think about this. If you're bitter at someone, they already have power over you. You know, they already occupy your thoughts far more than they should and for all the wrong reasons. When you harbor bitterness towards someone, it doesn't hurt them at all. You know, five minutes after he said it Thursday, he was on the couch with his pants unbuttoned watching football and you were in the kitchen stewing over it. You know, five minutes after she said it, she was in the next room gossiping about somebody somebody else and you're still worried about it. You're still living with it. It's eating you alive. It already has power over you. He does. She already has power over you. Forgiving that person sets you free from the bitterness. Forgiving someone takes that power away from them, but it doesn't transfer the power from them to you. Forgiveness doesn't transfer power from the offender to the offended. It takes the power from the offender and it transfers it where it belongs to God. I am the Lord, says to God. It is mine to repay. I will avenge. I am God. Let God handle it. Jesus tells this great story about forgiveness. In, uh, in Matthew, and, and, and I just want to spend the last few minutes talking about this. It's uh, Matthew 18, if you have your Bibles with you. Turn to Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. This is often called, and they say in your Bible, the parable of the unmerciful servant. <clears throat> and it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, this would have meant something to the Jewish listeners at the time. The, the number seven... Uh, in biblical terms, was, was an important number. It was a number of completion. I mean, if you think about it, that, that God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And God rested not because God was tired, because God's all-powerful. He doesn't get tired. God rested on the seventh day because he was done. The work was complete. And I could point you to Scripture after Scripture uh, where the number seven has represented completeness. You know, there, there are times of mourning in the Old Testament where you have to do it for seven days, and on the seventh day your mourning is complete. And so what Peter is asking is, Lord, how much... You know, it would have been not unusual for a rabbi to teach that you might need to forgive somebody two or three times. And so when Peter asked about seven times, he's saying, do I need to forgive my brother completely? And, 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 and so listen to what Jesus says. Uh, verse 23, Jesus answered, or 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or, or your, your version might say 70 times seven. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is like, I didn't come to increase the number of times you forgive somebody. I came to completely turn forgiveness on his head. Like I came to completely change what it means to forgive somebody. And so when Peter says, if we take the number seven, when Peter says, should I forgive my brother completely? What Jesus is saying is not only completely, but continually. And some of us in that room, in this room, understand that right now because we know that the last time we forgave somebody, they, that they hurt us again. And so we know that if we're going to forgive them and we're going to forgive them completely, we're going to have to forgive them continually. And some of us know that, that when we've forgiven somebody, the thoughts just keep coming back to us. And that we have to forgive them over and over and over again. And so Jesus says, you can't just forgive them completely. You need to forgive them continually. 
verse 23, Jesus tells a story. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I want you to hear this. The, the, the listeners of the day would have probably just thrown up their hands at this point because they hear 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years' pay. So if we were to take that and, and take it to Hamilton County uh, 2011, you know, the average uh, annual income in Hamilton County is about $75,000. So a talent would be 20 years' pay, which would be a million and a half dollars. And this servant owed his master 10,000 of these. So this number was astronomical. I mean, it was off the hook. It, it would be like a, a bajillion. You know, like I would say, you owe me a bajillion dollars. It was like this number that was beyond conception. And, and the, the important part of this story was that there was no way the servant could ever repay this debt. 10,000 talents. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, duh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. How? The servant's master took pity on him. Listen to this. He said, if you just be patient with me, I will pay back everything. But listen to what the servant does. He goes, or the, the master does. He goes one more. He says, the master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, that servant's debt has just been canceled. He's been forgiven. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was about a day's wage. So a hundred denarii, a hundred days wages, it's a pretty good debt, but it's one that could be paid back, right? It's not inconceivable. A lot of us have car payments that are that much. So he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Now, I'm a visual learner. You know, I learn much better with pictures a lot of times than I do with words, right? And so if I'm this servant who's asking to be paid back, and I see the other servant in front of me fall down on his knees and beg for more time, I immediately think, Okay, now where have I seen that before? Oh, yeah, 10 minutes ago when I was down there on my knees, I saw it. What happened there? Oh, the master canceled my debt. Maybe that's what I should do. Well, that's not what the servant does. Verse 30. But he refused. He refused to even give him more time. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jails to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. How long will it take him to pay back all he owed? Never. And here's where Jesus drops the hammer. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch. You know, you think you read that last passage and you think, you mean that if I don't forgive somebody, I'm not forgiven? That sounds a lot like works-based salvation, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like I've got to do something to earn salvation. But, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. 
I think it's like this. I've never met anybody who honestly believes they're immune from the laws of physics. You know, I, I've never met anybody who honestly believes if we went up to the roof and I pushed them off, believes that they would not fall to the ground. But we meet people all the time who think we're immune to the laws of God. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that it's impossible to understand how much we've been forgiven of our enormous burden of sin and not be willing to forgive others when they've hurt us. You know, one thing that we can see in the unmerciful servant is that he probably doesn't understand what it means that he's been forgiven, what it means that his debt has been canceled because he didn't go to his master asking for forgiveness. You know, like so many of us, he was intent on paying this debt himself. You know, this, this huge debt that could never be paid, he just wanted more time. So when the master forgave his debt, he didn't really grasp the enormity of that. You know, when the master forgave his debt, he didn't understand how big a deal that was. And that's why when he goes to the other servant, he can't forgive him. He, he doesn't get it. You know, that's why he can't forgive the other servant. What Jesus is saying in this passage is, if we are forgiven, we must forgive. You know, you can't possibly be forgiven by God for everything that you've ever done and everything that you will ever do and yet not forgive those who've hurt you. If you don't get it, you ain't got it. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you understand? Do you really understand, if you've given your life to Christ, how much you've been forgiven? Do you know that every sin you've ever committed and every sin you ever will commit has already been forgiven? Do you know that no matter what you do when you walk out of here today or when you go back to work tomorrow, God already knows you're going to do it. And He loves you and accepts you anyway. You know, when, when you walk out of here, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's not going to surprise God, and He's going to love you and accept you anyway in spite of it. You know, with that kind of forgiveness working in our favor, it's impossible not to forgive others the debt they owe to us. So I'm going to ask you, who do you need to forgive today? You know, even over the past week or two, as I've been working on this message, God has been showing people to me in my mind that maybe I need to, I need to call and forgive or I need to make it a point to go see them and, and forgive them for something that they've done that, that maybe they don't even know that they've done. And I'm not talking about, like, I don't want you to, guys, I'm serious. Don't, like, pick up your phone this afternoon and call your ex-girlfriend from, like, when you were in high school and, you know, and say, hey, um, I know, uh, I feel like you did me wrong. I just want you to know that I forgive you. And you got your little kids, like, grabbing onto your pants as you're talking on the phone. And, and she's got her family. You don't need to do that. But what I'm saying is in your heart, maybe God's showing you somebody that you need to forgive. So some bitterness that you need to let go of, you know. And, and, and here's the other thing, too. I've got some people in my life that I feel like the offense was 80% their fault and 20% my fault. And so my tendency is to stand on the 20-yard line and say, if you start coming toward me, then I'm going to forgive you. But that's not the biblical way. You know, what, what the Bible tells us is that we need to make the first move. And so even me, all the way down here on the 20-yard line, looking at that person, it might be that you, the first thing is not to forgive, but you might need to apologize to somebody who's offended you for the little part that you played in that. And that hurts us sometimes when we think about that, you know, because, because that's how God did it for us. You know, the, the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, that God sent Jesus down to save us. While we were still sinners, you know, before we moved in his direction, God sent Jesus to come save us. And, and that's the model we need to follow. 
Well, keep this idea with you as you go through the rest of the holidays. You know, family gatherings can be hard enough as it is. But if you have bitterness in your heart, it can be unbearable. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And the cure for bitterness is forgiveness. Would you pray with me? God, I I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this, this powerful story that... God, it's so hard for us to comprehend and and grasp of of the forgiveness that we've been given. And I thank you that you care for us so much. You care about how we live our lives so much that you refuse to let us stay bitter. And God, I just pray for the people in this room this morning that are are struggling with bitterness, that are struggling with forgiveness, that, that don't really understand how they can forgive when the offense seems so large and was so large, God. And so I, I just want to ask this this morning. If you're, if you're here and, and maybe you've got something in your life and you're understanding that you need to forgive somebody and you're not quite sure how to do it, I'm not going to call you out, but I'd love to pray for you specifically. Would you raise your hand? If you feel like there are people in your life that you need to forgive and you're struggling with that, thank you for those hands. Thank you. God, I, just, I, just, I lift these people up to you. I pray uh, that you would help them understand how they can forgive, not just completely, God, but continuously. I pray that we would understand uh, how we've been forgiven. I pray, as your scripture says, that we would have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. And, And maybe you're in this room this morning and your struggle is not to forgive, but with being forgiven. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never decided to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and and. Um, you feel like maybe you've got to get your act together first or, or you need to take those first steps towards God before he's going to come and save you. And, and that's not the biblical way. God, while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to save us, to rescue us. And if you're in here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you want to do that today, you want that same forgiveness that the unmerciful servant got. You are starting to understand how you can never repay the debt that you owe. And you want to do that this morning. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to make you stand up. I just want you to do this. Would you just pray this prayer with me? God, I'm tired of trying to repay this debt myself. Jesus, come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Take this burden from me, God. God, I'm so thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for your word and the way it teaches us to live. In Jesus' name. Amen.